If you filled out a connect card, just be the time to put that back into the, um, into the basket on its way down, and that would be great. Uh, we're going to do this a real quick housekeeping. Well, a couple of housekeeping pieces, right? Number one is this. I, I know, I know all, most of you this morning, at least those you've been coming, and I saw some of you, <clears throat> you actually dressed up. Stop it. Just because we're in a new space, it's bigger and prettier, doesn't mean you have to dress up, right? So if you came and used to wear shorts to church, then please wear shorts, right? And if you wore jeans, then continue to wear jeans and we'll be good to go. But if you are not yourself, then you have to go home. Second thing is this. Eddie, pull that up here on the screen for us. Uh, okay, I want you to this, my friends. You can't really see it that well, but this is our old carpet at our old space. Do you see that? These are coffee stains. They're coffee stains, and they're your coffee stains. Now, I'm going to call her out. Martha Daughtry said that you can't bring your stuff in here, or if you do, you have to make sure you clean up. Right, Martha? There you go. So I'm going to blame it on Martha. Now, I'm saying, hey, seriously, we're a family, and you're more than, you can bring the lights back up, Eddie. You're more than welcome to bring all of your stuff in here. I just ask that you be careful. How many of you already spilled your coffee this morning? Anybody? I know Becky did over here. There's Kelly. Kelly, there you go over there. Just be careful with your stuff. I know we have lids out there for our coffee. We just spent a, a couple of dollars on our new space, and so we know, we know we're going to break it in, right? We know we're going to spill stuff, and that's okay, but just don't do it carelessly. Just make sure you go, oh, my gosh, I didn't mean to, and I'll be fine with it, right? And so if you do that, that's cool, and, um, but just make sure you clean up all of your stuff. All right, here we go. Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be up on the screen, too, that you can look up here. But Psalm chapter 46, let me read it to us, and you can read along. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now in, this, in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, there is a, there's a really cool story. It tells the story of a king by the name of Hezekiah. If you've, ever, if you've been at Vintage over the last uh, year or so, you've heard us talk about King Hezekiah. He was one of the few great kings, maybe even one of the greatest kings that you'll read about in First and Second Kings. And in chapter 18 and 19, it tells the story about the king of Assyria, his name being Sennacherib, who was coming in to attack and to run over Judah. You may not know, but at the time, Israel was broken into two different kingdoms, they had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They were Israel and Judah. And Hezekiah was the king of Judah, and their home base was Jerusalem. 
And so Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, they were making their way, and they were literally coming and decimating all the surrounding towns. Over 200,000 people had been taken captive through the king and by the king of Assyria and the Assyrian army. There were over 185,000 soldiers bearing down on Jerusalem. And so, like they do, you see in the movies, you ever seen the Lord of the Rings and those three movies, you, you know, they'll stand up on the towers and they'll watch in the distance as this massive army, an army much stronger than their own, comes making its way towards Jerusalem and everybody is stricken with fear, including Hezekiah. So Hezekiah does what he's always done his entire life in these situations, in these moments. He goes to the prophet, sends word to the prophet Isaiah, and says, pray for Judah. And then he goes to his own prayer place, and he begins to pray. And prays something like this, God help, right? God, you know what's going on, you've got to move, because seriously, we're in trouble. You've got to move. And so, uh, so Hezekiah prays, and then immediately after that, Isaiah sends a runner. Runner comes back to Hezekiah and, and basically in so many words says this, God has heard you. Don't worry. He's going to fight for us. God has heard you. Don't worry. He is going to fight for us. And then we read in chapter 19, verse 35 and 36, the result puts it this way. That night... The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up in the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, tucked his tail between his legs, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he made sure he stayed there. Don't you love that? Here he goes, he heads back home to Nineveh, and he probably just sits there in a stupor and says, I'll tell you what I'm never going to do again. I'm never going to mess with Hezekiah. I'm never going to mess with the people of Judah because their God is really big. And he does really big things, and I'm pretty much scared of him. Now, what theologians will tell you, many of them, they will tell you, that this story of God coming and moving when Judah is under attack and this, this, this dire moment, right, this terrible moment where it is the darkest night they've ever known and God then moves on their behalf, this story is pictured in Psalm chapter 46. They're connected. I just read it to you. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So on and so on. The writer here of Psalm, most theologians would say, is a picture taken from the story of Hezekiah. You see, on Thursday night as we came here, if you, if you were on the email list and you couldn't make it. We had about 30 or 40 people show up, and we had what we called a, a night of thanksgiving and worship. We sat, we just came and said, let's just tell the stories of what God has done at Vintage. Let's just sit here in thanksgiving and in, in of worship 
and just invite him to come. Now listen, we know that where two or more are gathered in his name, that he'll be there in their midst. We know that. But we wanted to make sure that he knew that we knew that. We wanted to make sure that we came and said, listen, we know that you're going to come anyway, but we want you to know that we want you here. You're invited. I mean, we just want to tell you how much we love you and how desperate we are for you. In fact, we want to do it again and again and again. How many of you have told your children at least a hundred times in the last six months how much you love them? Because you just want them to know. You know that they know, and they usually go, I know, Dad, I know, Mom, right? But we want to say it because we just want to make sure that they never, ever forget. We know they won't, but we want to say it anyway. And so we came here on Thursday night and said, we just want to tell you how much we need you. We want to tell you how great you are. We want to tell you how much we love you. We want to sit here and tell your stories about how you've moved. And we sat here and did. We just told story after story after story of God moving in the last two years at Vintage, doing the thing that he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. We celebrated God. And we wanted to make sure that we celebrated him because we, we just wanted him to know that we wanted him here. We wanted to invite him. Yes, we know that he's going to be here. And yes, we know that he already knows how much we love him. Yes, he already, we, we know that he already knows how desperate we are for him. But we just wanted to say it anyway. Because if we want to come and be a part of what God is doing, we have got to live in this place of desperation. So we told his story. God. We live every day at a desperate stage, and we thank you that you are our refuge and that you are our strength. We could tell the story of Hezekiah every day that we live in a place of desperation, of needing you. So you raised your hands this morning, a lot of you, in a place of desperation, in a place of need. And we celebrate that God brought you here because he knows that this is a safe place for you to come and to receive healing and be a part of a family who will care for you. But we've come and told his story of saying, God, we are desperate. We are desperate for you. We need his presence to be present at all times. So as people got up and they shared on Thursday, we had a time where people got up and just kind of talked and they would take the microphone or not take the microphone because they were scared of it or something, right? And they would sit there and, and several people came up and and said, I don't know what's going on, but God just laid Psalm 46 in my heart. Bill Stevens got up the first one. He got up and he literally read all of Psalm 46. And a couple people got up and said, I don't know. I was sitting back there in worship and I just heard Psalm 46. And when Bill said it, and, it just, and so as we got here, all of a sudden we realized, obviously God was trying to tell us something about Psalm chapter 46. So I figured it would be good to get up here this morning and talk about what God wanted you to hear. Y'all cool with that? All right, Psalm chapter 46. So we're going to break it down. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to do two things. We're going to name one how Psalm 46 and then the story of 2 Kings 18 and 19, how that applies specifically to us and what God's trying to get across to us. And then we're going to look at how it applies to us relating to our community. So the first one is God relating to us. second one is us relating to our community. So the first thing that we see in here is this. God is our refuge. Everybody say that. God is our refuge. Psalm chapter 1, 1 and 3, God is our refuge and strength, okay? So we get to the story of 2 Kings and Hezekiah. He sees, listen, he's looking. Have you had those moments of looking at a situation of life or a moment or maybe seemingly literally an army bearing down on you and all of a sudden you know I'm looking for refuge, Right. I am looking for a safe place. And so Hezekiah is there and he's looking. He's like, we need a refuge and strength. So he does what he always does. 
He's done his entire life what separates him from other kings. When a situation arises, he doesn't call in his advisors. He goes straight to the prophet and he goes straight to God. And he goes to him and says, we're in trouble again. And we desperately need you to move like you've always done, God. You are our refuge. You have always been our strength, God. Would you come and move? And of course, we have the story that God begins to move in their lives. But the thing that's interesting from Psalm 46 is that he is our refuge and strength in the context of trouble. He describes it. As times when the earth gives way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, when the waters roar, and when the mountains quake. You see, we live in in church and we have this ideology that's just not the gospel truth about Jesus, that he will protect us and keep us from all of harm's way. Guess what? That's just not true. And churches that teach that, they're missing the Bible. I hate to say it, right? Because what God promises is that when the mountains quake, when a massive earthquake that is so big that literally the mountains fall into the sea come into your life, when it comes, His promise is to be your refuge and strength to guard you and to protect you. He didn't just keep the armies from coming. No, when the armies came and they cried out, God then moved. The promise of God for us is that as we make our refuge in Him, what He promises is that difficult times will come to vintage. There are going to be times that are very difficult and hard, but what He promises is, listen, make me your refuge and I will move in you. As you will come and set yourself before me, then I will be your refuge and strength, and I will move if you will continue to give yourself to me. The thing that we then begin to see for us as it relates to God as our refuge, as it relates to our relationship to our community, is this. As we make God our refuge, then we will find that we will become the refuge for those who are broken in our community. As we come and make God our refuge, then he will entrust us with those who need a refuge in their own lives, who come broken and hurting, living out this moment where the mountains are crumbling into the sea in their life, this place of desperation. And God says, I'm looking for a people whom I can entrust with my brokenness around the world. Who are looking, looking for a church who say, we will embrace the broken." In the community. He's saying, will you be a people who will be a refuge? And we say, God, here we are. Make us as a refuge. God, we need you. We sit here and tell you, we tell you every time we're around you, we need you. We are desperate for you. We love you. We long for you. We need you to come be our refuge and strength. And as we do that, we'll become the refuge and strength for our community around us. The second thing we find is this. God is our river. God is our river. Verse 4. Verse 4 said, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a, there's a river whose streams make glad the river, excuse me, glad the city of God. God is our river. Now you may not know this, but in Jerusalem, it was one of the very few ancient cities that did not sit on a river. 
did not sit on a river. Obviously, most cities in the day, just like to here with us, having Lake Alatuna, Lake Lanier, all these lakes with Chattahoochee, we need a water source. You can't survive without a water source. Do you know that, right? You can't survive without water. And so what they used to do in ancient times is they would find a river, they would stick a city next to the river, so there'd be eternal river, an eternal water source, water for us to drink and, and water to provide sustenance for our crops and for the animals that we are, we are raising, right? We need water, but there was no river connected to Jerusalem. And so what would happen is this, Sennacherib comes down, and he looks and he says, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. We'll just see, put a siege on Jerusalem. We will surround it. No one can ever leave. And the water source obviously must be outside. They must go outside of their camp to get to it. So if we sit here long enough, they'll literally die of thirst. This is a great plan. But what he didn't know was that Hezekiah had found a secret water source. He had built a was over 1,700-foot tunnel to connect to this water source that was a secret to Sennacherib. He didn't know it existed. So as they sat out without a water source, Sennacherib and his boys, they're sitting inside just drinking fresh water all day long, saying, oh, we're so thirsty, <laughs> right? Just loving the moment, right? And Sennacherib goes, they have to be getting thirsty now. What's going on? And the writer here in Psalm 46 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is beautiful. It's, a, it's this dual picture, this duality saying, listen, just as we have a secret water source that the idiot out there doesn't know about, which is awesome, we also recognize that God is the eternal water source for us as a people. And he names it this way. Just as the, this, this river was our secret source of life in the midst of the siege, so too God is their secret life source every day. You see, for vintage, as a people, we had, the word is clear for us. We must be a people of the river. We must be a people of the, who drink of the water of God's presence every day. One thing I felt like God was speaking to me over the last several months, He says, God, Steve, I want to produce in your people just the spirit of joy. The spirit of joy. You know, the, the fruit of God's presence in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The second of those was joy. And what he was getting at is saying the byproduct of being a people who connect themselves to the, the river of my presence, living in that place every day, living every moment of their life as if they are following my presence, living in my presence, drinking of my river, the fruit will be joy. The fruit will be joy. A lot of you are sitting there going, why did Steve's cousin come this morning? Some of you are out there going, it is sacrilegious to have that dude up there saying that and doing that in church. I'll tell you why he came. Because it's a foretaste, just a touch of what happiness and joy looks like. You came in this morning, he got up and made a fool of himself. 
you know, God bless him. We had a fool of Chad Brock up here, right? It's fantastic, right? This big dude who could have broken him in half. It was fantastic. He goes, who should I get to do the thing? Get Chad Brock. Let's make a fool of him this morning, right? That was my idea, <laughs> right? Brett, you protect me from him later. Okay, fantastic. And so anyway, you've got this whole thing going on, right? And there's this, you're laughing. It's this whole thing going on. But let me tell you something. It's just a taste. Because when you get the presence of the river of God flowing in your life every day, it becomes a perpetual flow of never-ending joy that Isaiah calls the river of delights. That's what he names the presence of God moving in our life. He names it the river of delights. Go Google that. River of delights in Isaiah and you'll find it. I forgot to find it. I'm not perfect with scripture. But it's in there in Isaiah. He names it this way. The river of delights, a never-ending joy that is perpetually flowing even when the mountains fall into the sea. Press pause for your life. What I'm telling you is simply this. If all hell breaks loose in your life and you cannot grab hold of joy, then there's something about the presence of God that's still available to you. Because as you taste of the river of delights and the presence of His river in our lives, the presence of His Spirit, and the river of delights begins to flow. And all hell may be breaking loose, and everything may be awful, but as you grab hold of the presence, His presence, joy is released. Remember, we, we've named it with Joshua. Joshua, remember in Joshua 3, verse 2 and 3, he said, Listen, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, when you see the presence of God come in front of you, Get up from the place where you are and follow it because you've never been this way before. You've never been this way before. He recognized if we're going to have the joy that we need, if we're going to function in life, then we have to be a people of his river, the river of his presence, tasting it every day. Number three, God is our peace. God is our peace. As Hezekiah cried out to God, and God spoke to Isaiah the prophet and told him, Don't worry, for I am with you, I will fight for you. Then in 2 Kings 19, God moved. God fought the battle. God came and moved against Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. God did his thing, and guess what the people in Judah did? Absolutely nothing. See, there's no greater peace than knowing God has our back. There is no greater peace than knowing this. We come and we live our lives in His presence and we live desperate for Him, giving ourselves wholeheartedly to Him, saying, I can't do anything. We can't win this. You only are a refuge and strength. He says, I am your peace. There is no greater peace than knowing God is one who has our back. We see it pictured in verse 8, 10, 8 through 10, where He says, Come and see what God will do. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. We hate that as Americans who love ingenuity because we can find a way to make anything happen. And what God is saying, the greatest way to see movement is to do nothing but to give yourself to me and make me your refuge and strength because there's peace in knowing that I will move and that I will fight and that I will come and move on your behalf. We must be a people who can come into his presence and rest in knowing that he has our back. Why do you think it says, I'll prepare a table before you 
in the presence of your enemies. Hey, let's just come and sit down and have a big banquet together. Let's have a meal together. But everyone's around is going to feed us up. Hey, it's okay. I've got your back. Do we know him that way? And the word for us as we move in is simple. We are called by God to bring peace in the community in which we live. We are to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. We are to protect those who can't protect themselves. We are to be intentional about looking outside of our four walls. The picture I want you to have this morning of what this looks like is this. We've said before that we are a family, right? And so if we're going to really be an effective church, we have to stand like this. This is the outside. Sorry to look at my, my bottom, right? This is the outside. This is the inside. We don't live like this because we live like this. We're all in this holy huddle, only caring for one another, forgetting about people out here. If we live like this, then we can't care for one another. But we have to get comfortable living like this. We're able to look inside and outside. I'm able to look outside and inside, both at the same time, and to care for those who are part of our family and to care for those out here who need a family. We're looking to partner with Must Ministries in, this, in the upcoming uh, months to specifically uh, feed the over 2,000 children in Cobb County who don't have enough food to eat. That's the initiative we're moving forward with. We're going to partner with several different churches in the community, but to specifically go after this. Then as we get really good at that, then we'll move to different surrounding communities, move into Paulding County. But we're looking to partner with these churches and literally as part of their feeding program to come alongside these children who can't protect themselves, can't feed themselves, and come along and say, hey, we're going to pack up about a million sack lunches so that you will have something to eat this week. Because we want to be a people who are practically protecting and caring for those in our community around us. The fourth thing we find is this. God moves because of grace. God moves because of grace. Now, if you remember, I said from the same of the last six weeks that grace is God doing, doing something for us that we haven't earned. Receiving something that we haven't earned. So as I say, God's pouring out grace. I'm saying God's pouring something out that we need that we've done nothing to deserve. Okay, so the fourth thing to see, God moves because of grace. And we actually find this here in verse 7 and verse 11 of Psalm 46, where the writer refers to God as the God of Jacob. He refers to, we refers to God as the God of Jacob. Now this is, Seemingly, it's a phrase, a name, but he can name other things, right? He can name the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, or even the God of Abraham. I mean, you could have named the God of Mark Freeman for all I know, right? You could have named the God of, you could have named him your name, right? Hey, he is the God of so-and-so, right? But he named him the God of Jacob. See, the name Jacob means deceiver, supplanter. To the story of Jacob, you know that Jacob literally, in his own strength, strived to take away the birthright from his older brother Esau. And he succeeded. And whether we like it or not, God honored that, and God chose to do that, and to make Jacob then the father of all of God's people. Now, what we find is simply this in the moment. Jacob didn't do anything to earn God's movement in his life. Jacob didn't even do things right. He was seemingly even opposed to God, but God moved in his life anyway because God chose to. 
And what he's saying here in Psalm 46 about naming him as the God of Jacob is simply this. They didn't do anything to earn God's movement in their life. They didn't do something so that God would go, oh yes, now I have to move. And naming as the God of Jacob, he's simply saying God moves because God chooses to. God moves because this is what he does. He's a father who can do nothing but move because we named this several weeks ago. He said that he is the Lord, the God of Israel, who is our Savior. Remember, we said God is eternal. God is a God who moves on behalf of his children because he wants to, because God is eternal. He named himself this way in Exodus. He, re- he reminded us in Isaiah, and he is still that way today. And the writer here in Psalm 46 is just saying, I recognize God this way. He is a God who moves because it's who he is. Not because you've earned it. Not because you fasted long enough, not because you prayed long enough. You can't twist God's arm. He moves because he loves you. He moves because he wants to. He moves because he's chosen to. And the writer of Psalms is saying, you must understand that God moves because of grace. He does it because he wants to. Why? Because it's who he is. That's why we come confidently before him. We're saying, God, would you move in so-and-so's life? Would you move and bring... Revival in our community, whatever it may be, we come confidently because God wants to do the things that we're asking him to do. The reality for us is simply this, as we move into the community, we must be a people who, as we receive grace, give grace. People are going to come in all the time, and guess what? They're not going to have earned our love. You know what I mean by that? They're not going to come in and say, well, here's my checking account. I make this amount of money. We're like, oh, yeah, 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 you're very welcome. We don't go look at the houses and say, ooh, that person right there, they drive a red sports car. We don't go to red sports car people. We don't want to love on them. No, we pour out God's grace and his love wherever we go because it's simply who God is and it's who he's called us to be. As we go out into our community, we don't play favorites. We give ourselves wholeheartedly to every single person who's in need because God has done it to us. And I'll tell you what, you've done nothing to earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it. He moves because he chooses to. Why? Because he's a father. And that's what he does. Psalm 46 is for us. God is our refuge. God is our strength. When the mountains crumble and they fall into the sea, God will move on our behalf. There is a river whose streams make glad, enjoy the people of God who give themselves to the river of His presence. He moves. And although the nations around us, they may roar, as Sennacherib did, who came and made a fool of Hezekiah and ridiculed and mocked their God. God says, don't worry, I'll just come and melt them because it's who I am and it's what I do. No one mocks me. I move on behalf of my children. Come and see my works. Just sit back, come, be still. I don't have to work for you, God. I don't have to prove myself. No, come and be still. And know that I am God. Come and be still. Stop working, Martha. 
You strive for so many things, but only one thing is required. Mary has chosen what is best. What has she done, Jesus? She just sat the feet of Jesus and did nothing, but just loved on Him. That's how we bring our heart prostrate before God. Prostrate. Lay down before Him. God, here I am. I'm desperate for you and needy. That's why I want to say, God, we want to live just recognizing our neediness and our desperation for you every day. God, we're going to be obedient and do the things you've called us to do, which will require movement, but I'm not going to move until you've released me. Be still, for I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. I'll be exalted at Vintage 242 Church and the surrounding community and all the other churches that make up my kingdom here in the area. The Lord, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Fathers, we've come this morning. We've come for a simple purpose. And it's simply to be with you. And Lord, as we come to this place... Psalm 46 is our reality. You are our refuge and our strength. And God, there are many of us who cannot and will not embrace that for lots of different reasons. But Father, we ask this morning that you would come. That you would reveal yourself. And that you would speak to us in this moment. Father, we love you. We need you and we pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to try. This is our first time doing ministry time in our new area, in our new space. And so we're going to try to do ministry teams up here in these little nooks up here. If, if you're, that's you and, and, and Grandma's talked to you, you know who you are, you can go ahead and come forward, find one of these nooks and crannies. Let's not have too many people. It's just going to be maybe about two or three couples on each side, maybe. <clears throat> and we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to end our time. Uh, when, I, when I get done speaking, you'll officially be released to go. For those of you who are first time at Vintage, we're so glad that you were here. And uh, make sure as you leave, uh, Scott right there is holding up one of these um, bags. It has a gift in there we'd like for you to have. This is just saying thank you for coming, so make sure you get that before you leave. And uh, for those of you who would like to stay, as it's customary for us, we're going to stay and worship uh, as long as we need to. If you'd like to stay in your chair and just worship and and pray, you're more than welcome to do that. If you'd like to get some ministry, teams are up here. You can grab a hold of them, and they would pray for you. Uh, but we ask this uh, as you leave today. Number one, you pray for us as we will continue to pray for you. And number two, this week, pursue the presence of his river. This week. God is your river. Know his presence. And allow it to change you as you taste of it. Y'all have a great week. We love you. And we'll see you next week at 10 a.m. At 10 a.m.